0: The Forbidden Door has opened and closed, and while many people thought that this pay-per-view was cursed, did the show deliver regardless? I answer that question and review the show next on the Squared Circle Babble. My name is Michael Valenti, starting things off with the six-man tag match of Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Minoru Suzuki, going up against Eddie Kingston, Wheeler Yuta, and Shota Umino. Now, I thought this match was actually a very fun match, and while there were... You know, uh, implications on this where the winner would get the advantage in the Blood and Guts match this coming Wednesday, I thought that added to the match. And, you know, obviously Jericho and Guevara and Kingston and Yuta had to win this match to get their team the advantage. It showed in this match. I think also the fact that Minoru Suzuki and Shota Umino being – you know, the New Japan guys that maybe some AEW fans don't know of. I think, obviously, Suzuki we've seen before in AEW, so not as uncommon. But Shoda, this is the first time many people have seen him in AEW. And I think both of them have shined in this match and got plenty of spots in. I think the, mat- the spot of this match, though, was Eddie Kingston after Minoru Suzuki got tagged in. Just, you know, takes down his tank top. Exposes his chest and is like, let's go. Let's just beat the hell out of each other. Totally love that. And Minoru Suzuki was striking hard in this match. I mean, he was stiff with his elbows, his chops. He was all over the place. His kicks. Minoru really, really had me going. I love Minoru Suzuki. He's always been one of my favorites when watching New Japan Pro Wrestling. And he showed you why in this match. Shota, you know, the storyline between him and Jericho being that Jericho put him in the walls of Jericho in Japan back, you know, when Jericho was facing Omega at Wrestle Kingdom. They brought that back in this match with Shota trying to get the walls of Jericho on Jericho. But unfortunately the, it it did not cause the win for Shota. Instead, Ty Conti gets involved, hits the bat. Then you have Sammy Guevara getting involved, Minoru Suzuki getting involved and eventually Chris Jericho hitting the Judas Effect for the win, and they get the advantage at Blood and Guts this Wednesday. You know, I thought the match was very, very good and maybe surprised a lot of people. Maybe they thought this wouldn't be one to talk about heading into the rest of the night, but opening match, I thought, really set the pace for the rest of this card. Next up, we have the triple threat match to decide both the Ring of Honor and IWGP Tag Team Championship match. FTR, the Ring of Honor champs, United Empire's Jeff Cobb and Great O'Conn, the IWGP Tag Champs, and Rapongi Vice. I thought this match was was good, given the situation that it had. Now, everyone, like I said, talked about the curse of this card where everybody and their mother were getting hurt. FTR, Dax Hardwood, gets hurt during this match, has to go take it to the back. So Cash Wheeler basically has to fend for himself while United Empire has their team, Rapongi Vice has their team, And there were some great moving parts in this match. But as soon as Dax Hardwood comes back from the back, you know, taking a look at his shoulder, he's all taped up. The crowd goes nuts for FTR. And all three teams had their their spots to try to win this match. But in the end, the big rig from FTR gets the victory. And they are now both the Ring of Honor and IWGP Tag Team Champions. I honestly thought this was going into it I think a lot of people had FTR winning this match, but like I said in the prediction show, someone commented on one of our videos, kind of changed my thought process on this match, thinking that Rapongi Vice might get the win, but FTR get the win nonetheless, so... They do have that tag team championship in Ring of Honor, the tag team championships in New Japan and AAA. And I think next up after that has to be the AEW tag team championships, where they go after the Young Bucks and we get part three of those, you know, the great combination of the Young Bucks and FTR. They already delivered twice. What better way to get third times a charm? And FTR gets those AEW world championships, uh, tag team championships. Speaking of championships in AEW, our first All-Atlantic champion was crowned at Forbidden Door in a fatal four-way between Pac, Malachi, Black, Miro, and Clark Connors. Now, Clark Connors coming into this match, I think a lot of people may not know him if they just follow AEW, and he, he hasn't really gotten much in New Japan Pro Wrestling. I think he just came out of the Young Lions maybe within a year or so. I've heard the name, but never really watched him myself. I wish I got to see a little bit more offense from Clark Connors because it felt like Pack got his spots. Malachi Black got his spots. Merrill obviously got his spots in this match. But Clark Connors, outside of sparing Merrill through the table, he got very little offense in this match and didn't really showcase him well in this match, in my opinion. I think some people might disagree with me on that. I'm you know happy to see him in the comments or via Twitter at SCPB Podcast. But nonetheless... I thought Mero had to win this match. But the way they built this match and the way it went through, I think what is going to end up happening is Mero and Malachi Black are going to start a feud starting this Wednesday on AEW Dynamite. And the reason I say that is throughout this match, they were kind of teaming together. And then there were times where obviously they saw their, you know, disagreements in certain situations and eventually leading to the finish where Mero had – Game over on Pack, And it looked like all Pack had to do was tap out. And Mero was the first All-Atlantic champion. But nonetheless, Malachi Black comes in. Black missed on Mero. He gets taken out. Then Malachi Black has an armbar on Clark Connors. But Pack comes out, hits the 450 splash, puts the brutalizer on Clark Connors. And our new and first All-Atlantic champion is Pac. I can't say I'm necessarily surprised. Because if it's not going to be Mero, I think Pack is probably the next in line to be the most likely of first All-Atlantic champions. But, you know, things aren't done with Maokai Black and Pac. But now that Mero and Maokai Black kind of planted a seed for a possible feud there, you could kind of deter Black and Mero into that storyline. Because, you know, it, it seems obvious fans are behind Mero right now. So maybe start him as a babyface, start a feud with him as a babyface and Malachi Black as the heel, and then revisit maybe Miro going after the All Atlantic Championship at PAC or Malachi Black, whoever comes out winning in that feud. So I thought this was a good match nonetheless. Personally, though, I'd like to see Clark Connors get some more offense if this were to happen again. But next match, we have what was supposed to be an eight-man tag now gets down to a six-man tag due to the uh, fever of of uh, Hiromu Takahashi, so he's out, so it's Sting, Shingo Takagi, and Darby Allen against the Young Bucks, and El Fantasmo. and I got to admit, this match was not for me, I I honestly have to say, it was not for me, I'm sorry, you know, some people might disagree with me on this, but it was just not for me, and the reason I say that is, there were just some things in there, like, El Fantasmo doing nipple twisters on Sting and that spot where Al Fantasmo's doing a flip, a, a flop, a, a spin a, before he finally just like slaps Darby Allin in the face. I just felt like it was a waste of time. I did like the use of Shingo Takagi in this match because Shingo's one of my favorites in New Japan Pro Wrestling and I felt like they really needed to showcase him, especially for the AEW fans that might not know Shingo. And I think... He, you know, they used him very well. Obviously, he got the pin and the win for the dudes with attitudes, Sting, Darby, and Shingo in this situation. So, you know, it was, it looked like it was going to be made in Japan, but he takes it down and uh, whips it to the um, uh, last of the dragon for the victory there. So, You know, good stuff there. I think the other good spot here was the beginning of the match, how it started with Sting. It looked like he was going to come from the rafters, but the lights go out, come back on, and he dives onto everybody uh, from the stage. I thought that was a cool spot. It's scary and cool at the same time because when you think about it, Sting is (laughs) approaching his mid-60s, already had to retire due to injuries once, and he's doing spots like this. It's like, it's cool that he could do it. But at the same time, you're like, if that goes wrong, like this is the last we see from Sting. So it's one of those like, no, 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 no. Yeah, that was awesome kind of situations. But I think this was, to me, easily the worst match of the night. Um, Just because it just wasn't for me. Some people might disagree. Again, let me know in the comments and on Twitter. Uh, Next up, we have the AEW Women's Championship match. Thunder Rosa against Tony Storm. As I said in the prediction show, I would I hoped that they would get some time. I would say maybe 12 minutes in there, but it ended up being like 10:42, so they were a little bit over a minute short on that 12-minute mark. But nonetheless, still a good match here. And Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm. Given that this was probably one of the lesser excited matches to be uh, talking about, because there was no interaction with New Japan Pro Wrestling on this card on this match. But still, Tony Storm looked like there were times where she might win this match uh, from Thunder Rosa, but instead we do get Thunder Rosa getting the win here. I just hope that this does not have Tony Storm go into like dark matches and just end up on AEW Dark for two months and then throw him back in randomly down the line. They have to showcase some women more on AEW Dynamite, and Tony Storm could be one of those that. She's shown it in the ring so far and had a decent push since she's came, since she's come to AEW, but I would hope that they could continue that momentum, revisit this match down the line and give them a little bit more time on, on the rematch, whether that's all out, whether that's full gear an episode of Dynamite, maybe Grand Slam. I don't know, but Tony Storm has to stay on TV and not just get relegated to Dark, as we've seen sometimes with some of these people on AEW where they debut, they have a, a little bit of a push, and then they get relegated to Dark. So let's hope that doesn't happen. Next up, I think there's a lot of people, a lot of people that consider this one the match of the night. I also think there's a lot of people that were not on the Orange Cassidy train that are eating some humble pie. And if they're not, I don't know what else to do at this point. Because Orange Cassidy and Will Ospreay had the match of the night for the IWGP United States Championship. By the way, Juice Robinson watching from the skybox, a nice little touch there given that he, he... technically did not lose that title. He had to vacate it due to appendicitis. And I love that Kevin Kelly kind of was suspicious of the fact that Juice had appendicitis because, you know, Juice said that he was retiring from wrestling and Kevin Kelly was like, you know, giving him well wishes. But then we find out that Juice joined Bullet Club and has this new uh, hard, rock hard Juice Robinson gimmick in New Japan Pro Wrestling. But nonetheless, this match was amazing. It showcased Will Ospreay to many fans that might have questioned him as, you know, is he too much of a flip-floppy guy? Does he have the the storytelling aspect? Does he have the psychology aspect of professional wrestling? And he definitely answered that question. He was amazing in this match. He had great facials on the near falls. He showed the tenacity. He was stiff. He used those high-risk spots When they felt like they were needed, it wasn't like just doing spots to do spots. And Orange Cassidy, this dude, like, yeah, there were play kicks in this match, but as told on commentary, they're used as mind games. They're not used as, you know, comedy spots like people think he is. Is he a comedy wrestler? Yes. There's no doubt about it. But when it's time to, you know, answer those critics that say, oh, he's you know, not a top guy in AEW or can't have the big matches. He had the match of the night with one of the best wrestlers in the world. And if Dave Meltzer goes and gives this match five stars, I, I mean, I'm sorry. It, it's warranted. Some people might go up in arms cause it's like orange Cassidy has more five-star matches than the likes of Kurt Angle and, and whoever you want to throw out there that don't have five-star matches. But this match was warranted for five stars, in my opinion. It was an amazing match. And Orange Cassidy did a phenomenal job. Osprey did a phenomenal job. But then after the match, you know, Aussie Open come in, they beat down on, um, they beat down on Orange Cassidy. Ropangi Vice try to come in for the save, they get beat down. But then uh, Kota Yoroi Shibata comes in and he's one of the you know biggest names in new japan pro wrestling if you haven't heard of him uh, i mean he's probably regarded as one of the stiffest wrestlers in new japan pro wrestling personally i never really saw him wrestle because i started watching new japan after he was forced to retire from a, a really life threatening skull injury that probably thought many people thought he was never going to wrestle again but like many that we've seen retire due to injuries comes back to wrestle and it looks like they're planting the seed for a shibata osprey program in new japan pro wrestling for that united states championship but then again let's not forget juice robinson is still in the picture there so you know i'm excited to see shibata and osprey at some point i'm excited to see what happens with orange cassidy does aew try to you know make a more serious character out of orange cassidy You know, because he's played that underdog role very, very well. And I think at this point, anybody that has this debate over pro wrestling and sports entertainment or, you know, we've had debates recently about guys having to need muscle to be, you know, main eventers or whatever the case may be. I think someone like Orange Cassidy kind of puts those debates to rest because it's all about the story. And it's all about the character. And Orange Cassidy, while he is a great wrestler, his character really helps get fans connected with him. And it just shows in this match. There's no reason why Orange Cassidy can at least maybe tease a main event program in AEW. And for those that say no, let's. it, you, it doesn't hurt to at least give him a shot. You know, there's plenty. Of, that's That's what I say about that. So... Again, I'm sure people disagree with me on that. Next up, we have Zack Sabre Jr. and what was supposed to be Brian Danielson, but due to injuries, that's not happening. So instead, you have Brian Danielson selecting a mystery opponent for Zack Sabre Jr. and it ends up being the man formerly known as Cesaro Claudio Castagnoli does it I mean, he gets the pop of the night when his music hits and the crowd sees on the screen that it is Claudio and you know, because the cameras don't go directly to him at first, they get the crowd reaction first. Commentary plays off like, well, who is it? Who is it? And then they go to the, the stage where it is Claudio. And man, what a pop. And rightfully so. I think a lot of people believe that Claudio is a guy that can be a main eventer, can be a world champion, but there's others that believe he just doesn't have that quote unquote it factor. Whatever that it factor is, hopefully AEW can at least test whether or not that it factor is there to get him a world championship on a national or international stage like AEW, like he did not have in WWE. But nonetheless, this match here I thought was a great technical wrestling match. And for everything that Claudio had and tried to do, Zack Sabre Jr. had an answer for. And he manipulated the joints as... Well, as Zack Sabre Jr. does, whether it was the knee, whether it was the heel, whether it was the arm, the fingers, there was just an answer for everything by Zack Sabre Jr., but still at the end, Claudio Castagnoli does get the victory here, and it was a very good match. It was hard to, you know, follow up with Osprey versus Orange Cassidy, but it still followed up nonetheless, especially when this is going to be the match between, uh, before the two champion world championship matches to close out this card. So, you know, I'm happy for Claudio. I'm happy for, you know, he's going to be part of blood and guts and now it's time to prove those wrong that think that he was not ready to be the face of a, a company or was not world championship material. Here's your chance to prove those people wrong. And so far, that match, I think, showed that he can, at least in the ring, which was never the question, but now put the pieces together. Tony Khan, this is your chance to book someone like that, that people think should be world champion but never was in WWE. Next up, speaking of world champions, the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship Fatal 4-Way, Jay White, versus Kazuchika Okada, versus Hangman Page, versus Adam Cole. This match was very, very good, in my opinion. I loved how it started off with Jay White and Adam Cole kind of pairing up and trying to take out one-by-one Okada and Hangman, and that really was the story throughout this match. Okada had to fend off both, then Hangman had to fend off both. Then, eventually, White and Adam Cole split up as Cole turned on Jay White in this match, because, obviously... Only one person can win, and the prize is the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Then we got, you know, Jay White getting back at Adam Cole. We saw Hangman Page kick Kazuchika Okada when Okada looked like he had the advantage. Looked like, at the end, Okada was going to win this match. He had Adam Cole dead to rights. Looked like he was going to get the Rainmaker, but instead, what ends up happening is Adam Cole evades that that uh, Rainmaker. Then Jay White comes in, gives the switch, uh, the Blade Runner to Kazuchika Okada, and while laying in the corner, Adam Cole appears to be injured, gets pinned by Jay White, and that's the end of the match. So it was kind of a lackluster, underwhelming finish to this match, but still a good match nonetheless. And obviously, after the match, we saw O'Reilly and the Bucks tend to Adam Cole. Doctor Sampson was there tending to Adam Cole, so. It's going to be interesting how this, you know, is this a storyline or is this really that Adam Cole got hurt in this match, especially with all the conversations recently with Booker T's comments and him having to need muscle to prevent injuries. So we'll see what this leads to with so many guys injured. It's like, oh, another injury in AEW, but if he is hurt, let him rest and let him come back when he's when he's ready. Don't no need to push him, especially when everyone else is already hurt. You don't want to just push this guy cuz you got no one else. The roster is deep enough as it is. But main event time, John Moxley versus Hiroshi Tanahashi for the interim AEW World Championship. And I thought this was a very good match. I thought it was definitely worthy of a main event match. You, you got the brawling bruiser type of Moxley. You got the technical and high-flying aspects of Tanahashi in this match as well. And, you know, eventually Moxley gets busted up because it's, it was hard to determine what really cut Moxley. But the commentary tells that it was Tanahashi doing a similar thing that Brian Danielson does, where he holds the arms and stomps the guy's head in. That seems to be what cut up John Moxley there. There was a table spot in this match. And, I mean, like some of the other matches earlier in the night, it seemed like whatever Moxley had, Tanahashi had an answer for, and vice versa. It was a very well-contested wrestling match for this forbidden door of AEW versus New Japan, winner getting the AEW Interim Championship. And, uh, uh, you know, Moxley ends up winning this, which I think a lot of people expected, especially because Jay White won the match prior to this. So... No titles change promotions other than the IWGP tag team titles going to FTR and AEW. But after this match, we have Jericho coming in. He beats up on Moxley. Daniel Garcia beats up on Daniel Garcia. Eddie Kingston tries to come in for the save. The rest of the Jericho Appreciation Society comes in. Then uh, Santana and Ortiz come in. Jericho Appreciation Society clears out everybody. They think they have everything done, but then Claudio Castagnoli comes back in, gets another pop after his music hits, and clears out the way, beats up on everybody, gets Angelo Parker swinging, and that's your closing moment for AEW, New Japan Pro Wrestling's Forbidden Door. I like that Claudio Castagnoli got one last bit of pop And it was him as the focal point to close out this show, given that, you know, he was the mystery opponent. And this was, you know, kind of a go-home angle for Blood and Guts this coming Wednesday. And I understand the timing of it. You can't really do anything between now and Blood and Guts. But I felt like this is more... Of something you would see close out Dynamite. Not close out a pay-per-view. Especially one that's supposed to be focused on AEW. And New Japan Pro Wrestling having this partnership. This is more of an AEW angle. Nothing to do with New Japan Pro Wrestling. And maybe this would be better off on the go-home show of Dynamite. But because Claudio Castagnoli was just debuting the same night. You can't really do that angle unless you expose him as Zack Sabre Jr.'s opponent on Wednesday, which obviously they kept as a surprise. So I understand the booking decision. I'm not going to harp on it and say like this was a really dumb thing. I just personally think it would be better off if they had this on a dynamite. It was a dynamite. Angle, not a forbidden door pay-per-view angle that's just my personal opinion some people might disagree with me on that and disagree with me on everything else on this show but the question lies now did the show deliver it was cursed as hell heading into it but i gotta say when you have only one match to me that i thought i was like completely turned off on the other eight matches on this card were at least met my expectations or exceeded my expectations this show was better than I think a lot of people believed it was going to be, given all the injuries and all the changes to the card and the lack of build. It really was a fantastic show. And hopefully, you know, Forbidden Door becomes an annual thing, or maybe every six months, whatever the case may be, and fans can actually get a chance to see these New Japan Pro Wrestling wrestlers in AEW and AEW wrestlers in New Japan Pro Wrestling in, in some way, shape, or form, and it ends up being a great partnership for both parties. So, let me know in the comments what you thought of the show. What did you think was the match of the night? You can do that in the comments or tweet us at SCPB Podcast. Subscribe, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Squared Circle Cycle Battle.